0: with you this morning, I do invite you to now turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, um, in particular verses 17 through 26. Um, after a two-week um, pause for Easter, we are back on our study of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 as we walk through this first book. The history of the origin of mankind, of sin and its consequences, and those early seeds of that gospel hope and that gospel truth are found, and all the more, within this beautiful Word of God. You can also find the text for this morning in the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's passage. And just as a reminder, a few weeks ago we began this chapter looking at the sin of Cain, looking at the consequences of that sin, and they were devastating. God brought righteous judgment upon him for shedding his brother's blood. And he made sure by marking him that people did not follow in his footsteps, did not pursue the sin of Cain. He was allowed to live, but was forced to wander the earth to lack a fruitful crop, and to be despised by all who came in contact with him. His sin deserved a strict punishment and it was received. However, as we will see this morning, sin can have an impact and sin does have an impact on a greater circle than yourself. This is one of the reasons we must fear sin and flee it at all costs. Look with me at our passage for this morning to see just how widespread the sin of Cain really was. I'll be beginning in verse 17 and read through 26. This is the word of the Lord. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad fathered Mehujiahel. Mahujahel fathered Methusahel. And Methusahel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada. And the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabel; He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forager of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. May we, even to this day, echo those words and call upon the name of the Lord, our only source of hope and strength in today and in the days to come. Let us now go to our Lord and ask His blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the timeless truth found in it. Lord, often Your Word brings challenging truths to our minds. When that is the case, we are not to doubt You but truly seek You through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand and to apply. Lord, give us understanding hearts this day. Open our eyes, open our ears, that we might see You and receive Your truth. Father, protect all of us from sin. For as we've already read in Your Word, Satan sits at the door crouching like a lion, waiting to see whom he can devour. Protect your people, O Lord. Help us to live a holy life before you, which we cannot do unless you do it in us. So we ask that this day, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. One aspect of our passage today that I want to be sure we recognize is the fact that Cain has children. Remember back to Genesis 3 and the curse. God's promise to Eve was that one day her seed would crush the seed of the serpent. This starts two lines in human history, two branches, two threads of offspring, if you will. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, or other times called the seed of Adam or man. All throughout Scripture, but you can really clearly see it from from Adam to David, There are these two lines, and they are diverging lines, and they both go in very distinct directions. The seed of the woman, or children of God, as they're also called in Scripture, are those faithful to God. They will take actions and make decisions and often make mistakes, but yet come back to God. Um, They place their trust in, their hope in God. And God promises to protect the seed. He promises to protect this line. Although in times in Christian history, that line gets very small. Quite thin indeed. To the point in the days of Noah, he alone was found righteous before the Lord. But God spared him and his family. The second seed, the seed of the serpent or the seed of man, it also flourishes. And this is a mercy. God's promise is to continue life. Cain still produces children, even though he sought to destroy the seed of the woman. But as we will see, each seed develops particular characteristics. And sadly, it's clear from our passage, Cain and his seed are firmly planted in the seed of mankind. This morning, I want us to really walk through what is a genealogy of the genealogy of Cain, And walk away with with three different aspects. Two that relate to the seed of the serpent, or the seed of man. And then one that relates to the seed of the woman, or the seed of God. First, I want us to see that sin affects the whole family. We find this in verses 17 and 18. Secondly, I want us to see that sin drives us to further sin. We find this in 19 to 24. And then finally, let's look at the children of God and see how God preserves His people in 25 and 26. Two seeds, two mindsets, two masters. Let's begin by focusing on verse 17. Some decisions have lasting consequences. The type of job you choose to pursue, who you choose to marry, how you take care of your health, and other important issues, all can shape the direction of your life, for good or for ill. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill faced many forms of opposition in his childhood, from bullying to what we now assume was ADHD and dyslexia, and continuing bouts of depression. That he affectionately called the black dog. However, his sheer willingness and determination to overcome these circumstances, to live in spite of them, made him quite possibly the most capable person to lead Great Britain through World War II and to serve two terms as prime minister. And really, Great Britain, as we see it today, owes everything to this man. While I don't think he would recommend his childhood to anyone, his life experiences, he did admit that they were the perfect training ground for who God needed him to be in the season he called called him to. Decisions and moments in our lives can have lasting outcomes and affect us moving forward. We see the same in the bloodline of Cain. We're told Cain knew his wife, she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Now think about this. Cain is the one who sinned. He murdered his brother in cold blood. He received the punishment from God. But that punishment didn't just affect him. It would affect his family and more than that, his seed. The direction of his bloodline. Because his wife would now be a wanderer. She would go where Cain went. She would have to live away from her parents, from her siblings. She faced the consequences of Cain's sin. So would his children. And it it is right to ask ourselves, is this fair? As long as we understand something important. Really, two things. One, God knows the heart. And be very careful when we ask about fairness when it relates to God. Because nothing is fair when we really think about it. How we have sinned against our holy and righteous God, anything that we're given is a mercy. Anything at all short of destruction, which we deserve. But we want to be very careful with this topic. We, we don't want to say that Cain's wife, who's never mentioned, um, is responsible for the sin of Cain Cain is responsible for the sin of Cain but it did have an impact on her, and we have to recognize part of this is due to the covenant of marriage we've talked about this in Genesis already when we join ourselves in marriage we are uniting ourselves to another now this means we should take very serious consideration in who we marry you can ask Lisa, um, I'm in favor of a thorough investigation and questioning before marriage. And, and she would tell you that's what it was. And in fact, um, personally, my goal was one of two things. To ask her so many questions, she was terrified of my openness and flee. Or to conclude, well, it's worth a shot. You can see how that worked out. But we need to be careful. Because when you unite yourself to someone, you really unite yourself to them, and all that that brings, good and ill. My personal sin affects my whole family. If I rob a bank, whether I get away with it or not, if you as the congregation find out, well, my job is done, I can't really pastor a church as a bank robber, um, that would affect them. They didn't sin, it's not their sin that is punished but I as the husband will shape the direction of my life, my children's life and quite possibly generations later. Cain's wife even though she's not mentioned we have to give her credit here for being faithful to her husband which is exactly what God calls us to do in 1 Corinthians 7 and in Ephesians 5. God's plan for her life is tied to Cain. We don't know why and We don't necessarily have to. What the Bible does tell us to do as it relates to marriage, which as far as we know, she did fulfill. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Cain's wife was being faithful to her husband. The Bible does give grounds for dissolving marriage, but this was not one of those cases. Unless we stop there... It's not only Cain's wife that's affected, it's also his children and his children's children. Moses tells us to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujahel, and Mahujahel fathered Methusahel, and Methusahel fathered Lamech. These children would grow up away from their cousins. They would not relate to them as they would have had Cain not sinned. Friends, we must take sin seriously. We must count the cost each and every time we are tempted. Because we might look at this passage and conclude, as long as I sin in a way that I'm not likely to get caught, I'm safe. Please don't look at this passage this way. You might say, just stay away from cultural sins, which are ever-shifting and changing. That's not the right way to look at this either. God's word doesn't. God's word is sure. God's word is true. God's word is consistent and has been since its writing and even before then. God's word is his telling of his character and nature to us. And so God's word is eternal. This truth stands for all time. And so don't conclude as long as I don't get caught or as long as Culturally, it would be okay, I'm okay with this, because all sin deserves God's wrath and punishment. It's not a single drop of water that causes the flood, but a million single drops of water. We must avoid sin at all cost, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our children, for our friends, our family, and those around us. And as we continue down the bloodline, as as we see where this leads, we do have to talk about Cain's children. And sadly, Cain's children had no problem sinning on their own. Look with me at our next section to see how sin drives us to further sin. Cain names the city he built after his son Enoch. Calvin argues about this point that he did this most likely out of fear of his fellow siblings. He quite literally walled himself off and his descendants to keep the outside world from getting to him. He would fear for his whole life that he would be murdered for the sin of murder. This shows a lack of trust in God. God placed a mark on Cain that that would not be so. And yet we find him walling himself off out of fear. And you may be tempted to say that this is an act of defiance against God. God said, Cain, you will be a wanderer all the days of your life. You will not have a place to call home. But again, Calvin says this is part of that judgment. Because when he's walling himself off, what is he constantly doing? His mind is out. It's out there. It's who's going to try to come in. Who's going to affect me from there? You never really see Cain settled. You never really see him thinking about the here and the now, because his mind is constantly wandering, just as God said it would. For most of his children, we get little to no commentary, but we do know what happened to Lamech. Lamech gets the title of the first bigamist in the Bible. Now, we need to understand something, and this is many times this has been wrongly interpreted as we look at the Bible. There's not a strong rebuke against polygamy in the Old Testament. And many of the church fathers, those in the Bible, even of the line of Seth, took part in this practice. That does not make it acceptable. That does not make it a practice that God promotes. The Bible is very clear, and when we talked in Genesis 2 and in Genesis 3, even the the end of chapter 1, one man, one woman before God and you may say, well, wait a minute. If, if that's so wrong, where was the punishment? Well, the punishment was allowing them to do it. Go to Solomon and find out how well that treated him. To have so many wives and so many concubines, the, the numbers, if you, it's about a thousand um, near about. And then see his life. And if he really did, write the book of Ecclesiastes, which I'm convinced he did. Go read the end of his life. And his regrets for having gone through this act of defiance before God. But please don't look at this and and, and wrongly conclude that because God doesn't strongly react to it, that there's not punishment or judgment. In fact, the punishment and judgment in most cases is giving them over to their own sin. That would be consistent with biblical teaching and what Jesus proclaims in the New Testament the first sinner in defying God's rules for marriage. It's also interesting to note the names of his wives. Remember, in biblical times, names meant a great deal. Um, it really spoke to your character and to your identity, to, to who you were, to the world. And um, what, all we really know about Cain's wives, um, one is named Ada. This can be translated as ornament or pretty. And then Zillah. Um, which could be literally translated as "shadow," most likely referring to a lot of hair um, or a tall stature casting a shadow on a hot day. And when you look at that, you you want to be quick not to to label these women in this way, um, but at the same time, knowing Cain's heart, it's most likely not a coincidence that the names of his wives are due to physical attributes. Because even if we're careful here not to attribute too much to these names, what you don't hear is Cain chose his wives because they sought the Lord, because they feared the Lord, because they followed in the ways of God. In fact, this is, is, is absolutely lacking in his bloodline, um, and we see it drastically absent and present elsewhere, which we'll get to in a moment. But that's not the only sin that we have recorded of Lamech. Like we said, um, sin leads to sin. Um, Cain's sin, while Lamech is not responsible for Cain's sin, he does take it and he improves upon it, if you will. Ada and Zillah, this is a song by Cain. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77fold. Lamech, instead of hating the sin of his father, turns it into song and celebrates it. I will be known by my actions. You will hear this song, O oh wives, and you will respond. I killed a young man. I struck him down. Cain Got vengeance seven times. I will have vengeance 77 times. Not only does he take multiple wives, he engages in an act of murder. And unlike his father, Cain, Cain hides from his sin in a way. He hides it from God, or at least tries not to get it exposed. Lamech proclaims it and makes it part of who he is. What we see here is a rebellious heart. And that's what sin does. Sin causes us to be rebellious. And sin after sin after sin, we get comfortable in our sin to the point that we're proclaiming and declaring and celebrating. This is me. This is part of who I am. This is my identity. And this is why the gospel is so necessary. It's why the cross is key to our beliefs. We deserve to be there. Make no mistake. We deserve what Jesus took. We sin and we sin and we sin because we want to. Because we enjoy it. But God calls more for us. God wants holiness. God wants fellowship. God wants worship and worship of Him alone. And that's good for us. And that's a blessing, and that's a, that's a mercy. And let me just say, and I, I need to make this point this morning. If you are here, and you hear of this bloodline, and you really truly feel that you are firmly planted in the seed of Cain, that this is your state, and this leads you to dread, this leads you to fear, this leads you to despair. No, there are many in the Bible who committed atrocious acts. This is not a celebration of that, nor is it permission for you to follow in their footsteps. You heard in our prayer this morning, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? By no means. But do not ignore the fact that forgiveness comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Don't think you're beyond saving because your sin is great. Christ is greater. And the beautiful thing about this passage is there is a lot of difficult things. There are a lot of hard moments and things we haven't even addressed from the text, implications of it, that we could be discouraged. We, we really could be thinking, oh, the world is without hope. I am too far gone. I cannot be saved. Woe is me. And we'd be tempted to think that way if the passage ended here. But Moses, in his wisdom, puts in the last two verses. Moses ends this section with hope, with preservation, with another seed. Look with me at verses 25 to 26 to see a shift from the seed of the serpent to the seed of the woman or children of God. Cain's descendants continue down a path of sin out of love of self above all else. But Moses shifts from the line of Cain back to the line of Adam. Adam and Eve lost Abel. God would need to provide for them another to continue the bloodline, the line of the faithful, And God does so, and he does so through Seth. And Adam knew his wife again, And she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Eve declares that God has appointed another offspring instead of Abel. Note her declaration. Eve is is really good at this. God gave me another child. God provided for me another offspring. And this is really interesting when you dig into Seth and his, his own line. His name means appointed one. His name is a testament to God's promise to continue a seed. He would not let the line die with Cain and Abel. Now, we also have to recognize by this point there have been many children Given to Adam and Eve. We know this because Eve took a wife or excuse me, Cain took a wife. Um, and there were people for Cain to fear. But to continue that bloodline, to promote that remnant, there had not been one found. And so God gives to Eve Seth. And the text ends with a final note about Seth and his bloodline that really contrasts Cain and drives us home. This is how Seth is to be remembered. This is how we know that he is of this bloodline, this seed. At that time, people, namely the people of Seth, began to call on the name of the Lord. What was Cain's bloodline remembered for? What it produced? Um, we didn't um, read it I, I actually looked over it, but um, you get that they made tents and that they had cattle and that they made instruments and that they bent the bronze and the iron, which is remarkable in and of its own self. and, And we look at what they did and were able to do. And then there's Lamech. And what did he do? He sinned. And he sinned well. And that's what they're known for. Great cultural accomplishments, but also great sin. The line of Seth, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, we do accept the fact, and again, I I say this as a reminder, the bloodline at times gets very thin. At the time of Noah, he is the only found righteous. In the time of Isaiah, this bloodline is called a, a shoot, really referring to Christ out of the stump of Jesse. As Israel grows up, and as Israel lives From generation to generation, a holy life, a life unto themselves, a holy life, a life unto themselves. God promises through captivity, through pain, through punishment, through disobedience, there's always a thread. There's always a thread of people unto himself. People who call on the name of the Lord. This morning we've really talked about these two bloodlines. The bloodline of the serpent and the bloodline of God. Both follow different paths. And my challenge to you in light of this is to ask, to which do you belong? In reality, we all are of Adam. And so we come through his bloodline. We are born into sin. Children of wrath. Disobedient and disobeying. Hating God and hating one another. But in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Have you been adopted by Christ today? Are you a child of God? Is that your identity? And you really can answer this by asking, do you call on the name of the Lord? Do you trust in Him for your salvation, for your hope, for your forgiveness? Because that's what the bloodline of Seth, really, truly saying it, the bloodline of Christ That's what identifies them. Are you a child of wrath? You can't earn your way there. But let me assure you, if you're placing your hope in Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins, you are firmly grafted in. If they pull a DNA test, if they do the blood work, you ought to bleed Christ. It ought to be there within the strands. It ought to be this anomaly, this marker that they say, that's something there, that's different. And we ought to be able to see it in your life. And please know that just as much as your sin can have a negative effect on your life and the life of others, so too can following Christ. A life lived in pursuit of righteousness and holiness, even imperfectly, has an effect too. As we move from this point forward, we will always be looking for these two bloodlines. We will always be asking ourselves, what is happening? What is the activity? What is the response? What is the result? And if we did the same for us, we would see the same today. For we are either children of the first Adam or the second. Children of Satan or children of God. And recognizing ourselves as children of God is the best place and really the safest place to be. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this weighty passage this morning. I thank you for this clear depiction of sin producing sin, of the consequences of our sin, the consequences of our lives and our actions. A reminder of just how rebellious we are prone to be. We do shout our sin from the mountaintops, we do proclaim it in the streets. We are all so often quick to desert the God we love. But Lord, there is forgiveness in Christ. And I pray we don't forget that. If we remember anything this morning by looking at these bloodlines, may we remember that God provided a son. And not just Seth, but Jesus. The true Israelite. The second Adam. The one who draws others into, grafts us in, knits us, the vine our source of strength and our source of hope and our source of life may we trust in you each and every day and may we seek to live holy lives and fear sin and flee from it at all costs because the cost is great but our god is greater we thank you for this time you've given us and pray you bless the reading and hearing of your word in jesus name amen